Have you always thought the Old Testament feasts were only for Israel? If so, you may be in for a surprise today, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Shalom and welcome to Messianic Perspectives, a daily program where we look into the scriptures from a distinctive first-century Jewish point of view. Today, our Bible teacher is Dr. Gary Hedrick, president of CJF Ministries. Gary's topic for this current series of studies is the Spring Feasts of the Lord. He's explaining how the seven feasts in Leviticus 23 are not only significant in themselves, but also how they collectively form an exciting outline of God's prophetic plan leading up to the second coming. I'll be back at the close of the program with news about a special offer. And now, here's Gary. All right, thank you and welcome, listening friend, to another edition of Messianic Perspectives. It's good to have you with us today as we continue this study of the Spring Feasts. And we've been noticing the importance of sacrifice in these feasts. The fact that when you're talking about the feasts, every time you turn around, it seems like an animal has to die. And by the way, did you know that they actually have revived the sacrificial system on the Temple Mount in Israel? There's a group in Jerusalem that goes up to the Temple Mount on Passover, or at least they get as close to it as the police will let them get, and they sacrifice a Passover lamb, a Paschal lamb. We got an email message this past year inviting us to attend the ceremony. And so we've been talking about these sacrifices that were part of the observance of the feasts in ancient Israel. So far, we've talked about the lamb and the goat as sacrifices. Now, what about the ram? The ram is another animal that is mentioned in connection with the sacrifices. Not only that, but ram's skins, dyed red, were used in the construction of the tabernacle, the mishkan. The ram's skins were dyed red, symbolizing the shedding of blood. In fact, the offering for the consecration of priests in Exodus chapter 29 is a young bull and two rams. And do you remember how on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would lay his hands on the two goats and the sins and guilt of the people for the past year was transferred to those two goats? Remember that? Well, it's the same thing over there in Exodus 29, except that it's a bull and two rams instead of just two goats. They laid their hands on the head of these animals, this bull and these two rams, and it signified the fact that the sins of Aaron and his sons were transferred to those animals. And then they were slaughtered, not the sons, but the animals. They were slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the priests. So, in other words, an innocent animal suffered and died for the sins of someone who was guilty. Just like Jesus Jesus suffered and died for our sins. Someone who is innocent suffered and died for the sins of those who were guilty. It's the idea of substitution. The theologians talk about substitutionary sacrifice or substitutionary atonement, the innocent dying for the guilty. So when they consecrated these priests, they offered a young bull and two rams. And over and over again throughout the Torah, we read about rams being offered. 
offered. And in fact, one of the very first mentions of a ram being offered is in Genesis chapter 22. This is where Abraham offered his son Isaac, or Itzik in Hebrew, as a sacrifice to God. And this whole story is just remarkable because when you think about the fact that Abraham and Sarah had waited and waited and waited for so long, for years and years for that boy to be born, and when you think about the fact that Isaac was the son of promise, he was the one God had promised them so many years before, and then they got tired of waiting, remember? So Abraham had a son by an Egyptian woman, Hagar, and he thought that son might be the son of promise, but God said, no, Abraham, I will give you a son just as I promised, and finally, after 10 years or more of yearning and praying and hoping and crying and agonizing in prayer, finally, Isaac was born. The promise was fulfilled. But that's not the only reason Isaac was important. It wasn't just the fact that he was the son God had promised Abraham and Sarah. More than that, it was through Isaac that another son would come, the son with a capital S, who was promised not just to Israel, but to the whole world. So not only was this the son that fulfilled the promise to Abraham and Sarah, but he was also the son who fulfilled God's promise to the world, the promise that he would send a Redeemer, a Messiah, who would preach good tidings to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. In other words, the Messiah would be a direct descendant of this young man, Isaac. So when God told Abraham to sacrifice his only begotten son, Isaac, he was asking Abraham to kill the son he had promised him, and he was asking Abraham to, in effect, destroy the messianic line. And the New Testament tells us how Abraham could do such a thing. You see, the best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. And Hebrews 11.19 explains it. It says the reason Abraham could offer up his only son Isaac was that he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. Now, you talk about faith. There is no record that anyone before the time of Abraham had been brought back from the dead. And God had not told Abraham he would bring Isaac back from the dead. But Abraham figured, well, God promised he would send the Messiah through the line of Isaac. So does God mean what he says or not? Now, if this had happened earlier in Abraham's life, he might have wavered. When he was younger, he wasn't quite as smart, remember? Isn't it funny how we get smarter as we get older? And when we're young, we think the older folks are the ones who aren't so bright. Like one of our friends said recently, he said, You know, the older I get, the smarter my dad gets. And the older Abraham got, the smarter his heavenly father got. And by the time Abraham stood there on Mount Moriah with his son Isaac, Abraham had an unswerving faith in his heavenly father. He had become a mighty man of faith. So much so, in fact, that when the writer of Hebrews presents his faith hall of fame in chapter 11, the list includes Abraham. In fact, the writer of Hebrews devotes more space in Hebrews chapter 11 to Abraham than to anyone else, including Moses.
So Abraham stood there on Mount Moriah, ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. He knew God would have to raise that boy from the dead because he had promised that Isaac would not only live, but that he would have a son. Isaac would have a son. And through his line, the Messiah would come. So there was no way Isaac was going to stay dead. Abraham knew that. There was no doubt in his mind as he stood there on Mount Moriah. By the way, did you know that according to Jewish tradition, Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now, we have no way to prove that because there's no plaque there anywhere that says, here is where Isaac almost died. There are no markers for events that happened that long ago. So all we can go by is what the traditions say and what history says. And historically and traditionally, Mount Moriah is today what we call the Temple Mount. So that means the temple sacrifices were offered up in the same place where Abraham offered Isaac. And traditionally, they say The Holy of Holies actually sat on the rock where Abraham offered Isaac. So there he was, ready to slay his son Isaac, because he believed God was going to bring him back to life. But as he reached out with a knife in his hand to kill his son, God stopped him. And it says God provided a ram for the sacrifice. It was a ram caught by the horns in a thicket. So Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it to the Lord. It's no wonder... When we get to the book of Exodus and the sacrificial system, the ram is one of the animals most often used. And it was the sound of the shofar or the ram's horn that called the people to their sacred assemblies. It's an appropriate symbol for the Messiah. The word ram even means exalted or high because the rams were the animals that dwelt in the high places way up in the hills. Now, finally, we come to the bull. This is the last one. The bull is interesting not only because of what the Bible says about him, but also because the bull is associated with the high priest in the Old Testament. The bull was one of the animals the high priest had to sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of his family. And again, the Talmud adds another detail and says when the high priest offered sacrifices for himself, it was not just for himself or for his immediate family, but it was also for the other other Kohanim, the other priests. And it's interesting that the ancient sages of Israel suggested that the Zodiac originally referred to the 12 tribes of Israel, or at least that they were adapted so that each sign of the Zodiac stood for one of the 12 tribes. And a lot of us shy away from the signs of the Zodiac, and rightly so, because they have been corrupted by Satan. Astrology is very much a part of the occult. We know that. But the Bible talks about the constellations, and we know the constellations were here long before astrology got here. The book of Job refers to the Pleiades, which are the seven stars that form the shoulder of Taurus the bull. And according to the Rabbinim, the ancient sages of Israel, Taurus the bull represented the tribe of Issachar. By the way, Adam Clark, in his commentary on the Old Testament, has a chart showing the 12 tribes of Israel and how the rabbis said they corresponded to the 12 signs of the Zodiac. You'll find it where Adam Clark comments on Genesis 49, 33. 
And something else that's interesting is that the Pleiades and Taurus the Bull make their appearance in the spring. And here we are talking about the spring feasts. But we want to make it very clear that believers should be aware that the study of the Zodiac has been corrupted and we are to have nothing to do with the occult. The point we're making is simply that these animals were symbolic and they were prophetic. In Jewish tradition, each of the 12 tribes is symbolized by an animal. And the animals that were used the most in the sacrifices were the lamb, goat, ram, and bull. Well, we'll pick it up here next time. Until then, this is your friend Gary Hedrick saying, God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gary. And thank you, listening friend, for tuning in today. It's always good to have you with us, whether you're listening from home, at work, or in your car. This is Messianic Perspectives, and you've been listening to Dr. Gary Hedrick talking about the Spring Feasts of the Lord, the seven annual meetings outlined in Leviticus 23. We have all the programs in this series available in a set of three CDs packaged in an attractive binder for a suggested contribution of just $18. That's the three CDs entitled The Spring Feasts of the Lord by Dr. Gary Hedrick for a gift of only $18. Just visit our secure online store at MessianicSpecialties.com to place your order. If you would prefer to order by mail, just address your request to Messianic Perspectives, P.O. Box 345, San Antonio, Texas, 78292. To order by phone, use our toll-free order line from the U.S. The number is 1-800-926-5397. Have you enjoyed this edition of Messianic Perspectives? Why not continue to learn about the Jewish roots of your Christian faith by inviting a speaker from CJF Ministries? Call our toll-free number 1-800-926-5397 and we'll be happy to handle all of the details. And as always, when you're in touch with us, please mention the call letters of this station. If you're listening to our webcast or podcast, we need to know that too. I'm Liz Aiello. Join us next time, won't you, as Dr. Gary Hedrick continues our series of studies on the Spring Feasts of the Lord, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Perspectives is sponsored by CJF Ministries of San Antonio, Texas, and is made possible on this station by the free will contributions of our listeners in this area. Music